This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, November 20th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Bitcoin's big ups and downs and ups have drawn new interest. China has prohibited exchanges that handle Bitcoin. Other countries have found it to be perfectly fine. Will Luther is an assistant professor of economics at Kenyon College. We discussed the new attempts to restrict Bitcoin at the Cato Institute's monetary conference last week. Bitcoin has hit several highs recently, and um, some of that was driven by how various countries decided to treat it. Um, there is this huge push in Venezuela uh, for people to adopt it in light of the inflation rate in, in Venezuela. There was a hard fork that was uh, of, a, of a split essentially in Bitcoin that did not occur and may not occur. Uh, so is that all that's driving the the price, or is is there something else? Well, it's uh, you're right. The last few months have been pretty turbulent for Bitcoin, um, both with the forks and with the the announcement last month that um, Bitcoin exchanges would would no longer be permitted in China. Um, so it's been pretty turbulent. I think that um, what you have to keep in mind is that anything that happens to the Bitcoin network gets amplified because Bitcoin is a money. And monies are subject to network effects. And so you're not just concerned with how this affects your decision to uh, use this item as a, as a medium of exchange, but also how you expect that it will affect others' uh, uh, desire to use this as a medium of exchange. And of course, they're thinking about what you're thinking, and you're thinking about what they're thinking, and it just, it's turtles all the way down, right? So um, I think that any, any shock that happens just gets amplified. All right. So um, there are some efforts. You mentioned China, but several other countries have had placed sort of weird restrictions or controls or outright bans on Bitcoin. So why? Why, why, is, why is, for example, China? Why has China chosen to uh, ban exchanges? Yeah, I think that's the uh, – China is maybe the easiest case. Um, you know, China has some, some capital controls. They, they want to keep funds in China. Um, and Bitcoin provides one mechanism for getting funds out of the country. Um, and so I think that's a pretty straightforward case. Uh, in Ecuador, Ecuador um, has uh, announced back in 2014 that they were going to launch their own digital currency, a central bank-issued digital currency. Um, and, and in that case, they had, they had announced about a month before that they were going to ban uh, Bitcoin. Um, and so I think that's another straightforward case. Okay. In Ecuador, if, if you're aware of it, Ecuador is a dollarized country. That's right. So, so what does it mean that, that, a, that a country that is effectively has its currency pegged uh, explicitly? Not just pegged, right? But they're actually using dollars. Ah, okay. So <laughs> uh, for a country that's done that, that they're effectively using dollars, there's a constraint on the monetary authority there in the sense that there really isn't one. That's right. They just have dollars. So what, is that, what does that mean that, that, that Ecuador is going to issue a digital currency that is essentially U.S. dollars. Well, so uh, one way to think about it is, uh, you know, in a lot of these countries that are using another country's currency or dollarized countries, um, oftentimes when they're, you know, it's really expensive to ship in quarters and nickels and dimes. And so oftentimes they'll use uh, a unique coin, uh, 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 unique coins in the country, even though their notes, especially the higher denomination notes, are, are dollars. And so those coins, um, they introduce them uh, um, by purchasing dollar-denominated assets. 
Uh, and so um, you can think of that a bit like a currency board. And so here with digital currencies, it's basically the same thing. So when they introduce a, a digital dollar on their blockchain, they uh, make an asset purchase, uh, a dollar-denominated asset purchase. And so long as they hold those dollar-denominated assets, they will always be able to redeem the digital balance one for one with the U.S. dollar. The the question is whether or not they will hold sufficient dollar-denominated uh, assets uh, or whether they'll be tempted to venture into uh, more risky assets that yield higher returns but also could leave them in a state where they can't redeem those, uh, uh, those uh, assets that they've put out. Is there any sense of the relative level of transparency? I mean, Bitcoin obviously is a very transparent uh, uh, medium. Um, but is there any any view of whether or not Ecuador will actually do that? My concern is uh, uh, debauchery in a sense, <laughs> like digital debauchery of yeah, what what, yeah. what should be uh, a one to one ratio of dollars to these new uh, cryptocurrency. Yeah, that's interesting. So there's there's a, a lot of talk in central bank communities at the moment about issuing um, blockchain based uh, monies. Um, and so I, I'm not sure on the particulars there of Ecuador, whether or not uh, what, what their supply mechanism would look like. But, but my sense is that all of these central banks want to keep control of the supply. And so um, I will probably have pre-mined coins and then the central bank will just decide whether to issue those or, or pull them out of issue, much like they do with the, the monetary base today. And it's, it's interesting because if, if uh, the country is trying to exert control over money by issuing their own digital currency, you've, you've sort of uh, preemptively waved away one of the features of cryptocurrencies at all, which is that you can move money around very freely. That's right. It's uh, it's kind of uh, analogous to the local currency movements that you see uh, throughout the U.S., right? These, um, you know, like the Berkshire, uh, Berkshire dollars uh, uh, and uh, the owls. Um, it almost overlooks the fact that the reason people want to use money is because they're commonly accepted medium of exchange, not just accepted in your narrow uh, area of the world, but uh, accepted with all of your potential trading partners. And so uh, national currencies already put a, um, a limit to that commonness um, uh, with, with few exceptions. The dollar circulates pretty widely, but uh, other national currencies less so. And so this, uh, this uh, seems to be uh, another effort on the national level to, to limit how how commonly uh, an otherwise global currency would would circulate. And the, the the other thing is, I hear this argument not just from U.S. officials, but from people uh, from officials around the world, which is, uh, Bitcoin is bad in a sense because it, it can be used or will be broadly used by criminal enterprises. Mm -hmm. So they ban it, which makes Bitcoin only useful to people <laughs> who are willing to break the law. Yeah. And it, it seems it's a, a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way that that we're going to make this thing very difficult to use. And there are some groups in the United States, uh, for example, legal pot dealers in the, in the U.S. who are essentially unbankable uh, due to uh, Federal Reserve controls That's on right. who is able to make use of bank accounts and the Patriot Act, among other laws that make it difficult for people who are maybe not breaking the law but are uh, 
disfavored uh, yeah, businesses. And, it, and, and, and in many of those cases, it's not even uh, necessarily illegal or at least not explicitly illegal for them to have a bank account. But the bank just – it's just not worth the risk. And so uh, so they remain unbanked and, and only have recourse to – to, to means like Bitcoin of, of making transfers. But that provides, I mean, in a sense, to the extent that you can uh, put Bitcoin printed out and uh, lock it away, to, the, to some extent, that's like having a bank account. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, transacting digitally is, is safer than transacting with big stacks of cash that are uh, subject to, to theft and fire. Um, and so uh, you, you can see why they would prefer to have access to a bank account or to Bitcoin. What's the best case scenario or what's the most hopeful story that you can give about where this is headed in terms of recognition by uh, governments? Because I, I, to, I totally understand if, if you're a country like China, you have capital controls, you want money to stay in the country, you want the uh, your funds to be reinvested, you have a very sort of strict monetary regime that has a set of goals. Um, but give me the hopeful story of where this might be headed with respect to governments appreciating the fact that this is a system that uh, so far has functioned really well. Well, I think, I think that there's quite a bit of room for hope here, right? If you look at the places that are banning Bitcoin, Bolivia, Ecuador, uh, Bangladesh, uh, China banned the exchanges but didn't ban Bitcoin outright. Russia has floated a proposal to, to ban uh, cryptocurrencies, and it's already uh, illegal to use anything other than the ruble for domestic uh, transactions. These, these are not liberal democracies. Right? And if you look at uh, broadly liberal democracies, you don't see these efforts to ban Bitcoin. In the US, okay, there's been some regulation. Uh, FinCEN requires that exchanges register as money services businesses. The IRS says if your uh, Bitcoin gains value, you have to pay a capital gains tax. But, but these efforts are not... Um, uh, designed to prevent Bitcoin from from functioning, uh, and so I think that that's actually uh, uh, there's quite a lot of reason to to hope there um, that that most countries actually won't take steps to ban Bitcoin. It's it's almost it's almost as like the difference between wanting your percentage, which the U.S. <laughs> government clearly does. It doesn't doesn't matter what you're doing. You can do a lot of things, but we want our percentage, uh, and simply prohibiting that liberty. That's right, just a little off the top. Will Luther is an assistant professor of economics at Kenyon College. We spoke during the Cato Institute's Monetary Conference. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.